0: Welcome to Highlawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. We pray that you are blessed by the sharing of God's truth for us this day. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. Are we trying to steal members from other churches? Do we not only preach the word of God, but do we do so that includes a sprinkling of lies where we degrade the work of others that are called in Christ's name as well? Do we choose to tailor our messages so that they have no substance as far as the word of God is concerned, but only meant to tickle the ears of those who are listening, so that when they leave the doors, they are not challenged, they do not grow, but they simply experience an emotional high. I hate to use that phrase, but it's the only one that really fits. I remember that one of our own actually uh, went to a relative who was telling him all about one of those churches that uh, they, they don't preach from the Word of God in expositionary form. Instead, what they choose to do is they choose basically to give uh, more of the self-help Type of a message, more of the motivational speaking type of message, which under some circumstances can be a real benefit. But when that's all that you offer and there's none of the Word of God behind it, the response of his relatives was that it's not. It's, it doesn't even feel like we've been in church. That could be, that could actually be part of the problem. So he he went a step further and asked, "Well, do you remember what they preached about this Sunday? Do you remember the substance of the message?" Do you remember what scripture they covered? Do you remember the point that supposedly impacted you all this much? No. The response was no. How are we impacted? And what is the condition of our hearts as we seek to impact others in Christ's name? So as we consider the word of God together, Luke chapter nine, starting with verse seven. When you get there in your copy of God's word, say amen. So these are two stories of how people were impacted by the ministry of Christ through the disciples. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was going on. And he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Others that Elijah had appeared, still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. We're going to see this come back when Jesus asked the apostles, who do you say that I am? But going on, Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. That's one impact. Here's the other. Verse 10, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus of what they had done. And then he took uh, them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it, and they followed them. So these these are people that heard the stories as well, people that had seen the miracles. Not, of, not necessarily just of Jesus himself, but of the Twelve people who Jesus' followers had touched who became followers themselves. Do you see the pattern? Jesus is teaching the disciples to become the apostles, the sent out ones. And the sent out ones are now receiving a following of their own. As we continue, the crowds learned about it and they followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding village and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. You, as the ministers of Christ, as the disciples of Christ, You've already experienced God's provision. You've already experienced God's wonders and ministries. It's time for you to step up to the plate. You show them hospitality. And they answered, We only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. So basically, they're looking at the situation through very human eyes. We don't have it. It would cost a fortune. We can't do this work of ministry, we'd go bankrupt. We have doubts. So what's about to happen? You know this story. You've heard this story since you were in the Sunday school as a, little, as a little kid. So you know what's about to happen. Here's the difference. The target of this lesson, the target of the miracle that's about to take place, isn't the crowd that gathered around Jesus. They may have witnessed it, but chances are Jesus was standing with the disciples facing him, so the only thing that they could see was Jesus and the backs of 12 men. The point of this miracle was to teach the apostles themselves about the meaning of faith. They were the target. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. And the, the author Luke writes a little note for us. About 5,000 men were there. I underlined that because this is a very Jewish way of doing things. When they took a census, unfortunately, they only counted the men. So as these families as a whole were coming up to follow Jesus around, this wasn't just 5,000 people. This was 5,000 men. So there were probably about 10,000 plus all told, not counting the women and the children. Ladies and kids, if you feel left out, I don't blame you. But this is how they kept record at that time. This is part of that culture. Which, to me, makes this even more astonishing. He said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. In taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them and he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. They didn't just get sated, they were full. And as a further testimony to give evidence to his own apostles, the disciples were sent out to pick up the, the leftovers. Notice that the people that were being ministered to, they were the they were being served first. The church leaders, so to speak, were saved themselves for last. How many basketfuls of leftovers did they find? Twelve. That's not a coincidence. So Jesus is telling us a couple of things. First of all, he was able through the power of God to provide for this giant multitude of people. Secondly, there was enough left over so not only were the people in the community filled to the brim, but the church itself, the church leaders, if you will, the deacons who are the disciples at this point, had enough for them as well. We're talking 12 bushel baskets full of food. God provides. God provides. Have faith that He will provide. If you are earnestly doing what He's called you to do, if you are wholly obedient to His calls, fully devoted to Him and not yourself, He will provide all of your needs according to whose riches and glory? His. He will supply all the grace that you need for His grace is sufficient. He will be there for you in providence. He will enable you through the gifts of the ministry. If He calls you to do something, he himself takes upon his shoulders the responsibility to accomplish it. All you have to do is be obedient. The hands and feet of Christ distributes. That's our role. So we have two we have a lot of different things to consider. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. First of all, the goal of any form of ministry is to put God on display. That's first. Jesus had sent out the apostles, the the disciples, excuse me. They're still journeymen. They're still apparently in in the, the role of being the apprentice here. So he taught them the word of God. He taught them his place with the coming New Testament. He taught them everything that they needed to know. And when they got a certain amount of book knowledge, he sent them out among the the people of Judea to experience ministry for themselves, to be the student teachers of the word of God. So they go out to all these homes, all these places. He commands them, don't take anything with you. You will subsist as God gives you the ability. So they were guests in other people's homes, as was the custom in this culture. They did the work of ministry. If anybody didn't accept them as a public testimony to them, they were commanded to shake the dust off of their feet. That's a very Jewish idiom. That means that you're not a person of God, and rather than contaminate the holy land, we're going to kick the dust off of our feet in front of you. But they went to Christ to give this report. And they praised God. Just as we as disciples are called to glorify Christ, Christ was then glorifying who? God the Father. So it all links back to him. So the people come in crowds praising God, wanting to learn from this new prophet, wanting to experience the presence of the living God for themselves in a way that they hadn't been able to do otherwise. They not only wanted the word, but they wanted his love as well. So they gathered over 10,000 people strong in his midst to get a touch of the master's hand. While at the same time in a palace, somewhere along the way, this guy hears this message, these rumors. And his heart grows hard because he's curious. But not curious about the things of God as we're going to see. He's curious about how this can be a benefit to him. He's curious about how this Jesus person can be an entertainment for him. So let's take a look at our place in ministry as we're being taught by this passage of Scripture. Christ commanded them to be a living example, to live simply, to be wholly reliant on God for everything, that as they are obedient, God will supply their needs. If you take your talents, the talents that God invested in you, and you put them to use being obedient to Him, God will invest more in you. That's the way it worked. That's the purpose of the parable of the talents. So as we are wholly reliant upon Him, as long as we're also wholly obedient... He will bless us so that we can continue to grow and to prosper and to do what is what we've been called to do. As he has invested his truth and his love and his compassion and his substance in you, as long as you treat it well are obedient to him and have the right heart with what you do in ministry, he will reward it. Be gracious to those who offer you hospitality. And for those wonderful people that God puts in your lives, never fail to tell them how much you love them. Leave unbelievers in peace, knowing that to argue with somebody into heaven is just to make them dig their heels in further. Don't get emotional when somebody rejects the word of God. Deal with them in compassion and love and pray for their enlightenment as we are commanded to do. Reject worldliness and leave it aside. That's what that means by shake the dust off of your feet. Don't let the things of this world into the place of God. Don't let the things outside of the church make their way into the church. It's the same when a journeyman in ancient Israel went to another country and they came back home. They were literally supposed to dust their feet before crossing the boundary into the land of promise. Symbolically, meaning that we do not take the pagan filth outside of the holy land and make it part of holy ground. Does that make sense? In the same way, the people of God, as we're ministering out in the world, we are not to let the philosophies, the play pretties of the world, into the church. Amen. Amen. So well, let's continue. That's what that phrase means. In case you've ever wondered. Jesus empowered and directed them. He gave them authority and the strength through the Holy Spirit to cast out demons to heal the sick. This was a visible authentication that God is still at work and he's at work particularly in these followers. Now we no longer have this bright, shining, glaring, mystical power so much as we have the word of God and the testimony of his people. Now that doesn't mean that miracles don't happen every day. That doesn't mean that if you pray to God, He's not going to respond. All that means is, be careful. God is not our ATM machine. God will answer, but it might not necessarily be the answer that you hope for. But of this I am certain. God does supply our needs. Maybe not in the way that we expect Him to or want Him to but he never fails to love his children. And above all, they were sent out to proclaim the good news. Missions being the compassionate outreach of the church and evangelism, meaning our ministry to the lost. Those two were working in tandem as they saw people being healed, as they saw demons being cast out, as they saw the impossible happen knowing that the fingerprints of the Holy Spirit were on these followers of Christ. So Jesus, in this case, God made flesh, was glorified before many as God's love and mercy were being witnessed, as the gospel was given and accepted, as crowds gathered around to experience him. Lives were being transformed. That's the right kind of attention. Now let's take a look at the wrong kind of attention. Be careful who pays attention to. Be careful of flattering words. Be careful of people that come in with one agenda, and that agenda doesn't belong to Christ. Herod, the person that we're talking about, the person that Luke was writing about, was the son of Herod the Great, the same king that uh, slaughtered wholesale the infants of Bethlehem. He was forced, because Rome couldn't take the crazy of Herod the Great and didn't want to see that kind of insanity uh, anymore lived out in his son, instead of giving him all of Israel to rule, they cut Israel into four quarters and gave him the region of the Galilee. This man was depraved enough to deprive his own brother of his wife the wife of his brother and he himself he, he was previously married to a princess of a foreign country they both got divorced so that they could get together and he was called out on this by John the Baptist this why excuse me which is why John the Baptist was imprisoned and as he as as herodias the uh, john the as, excuse me, as Herod's stepdaughter danced before him in his own birthday party, he became enamored with her to the point that he said, in front of all of his, his guests, his military leaders included, I will gladly give you half my kingdom if you just ask for it. So she goes to her mom, the same woman who had been talked against by John the Baptist. What shall I ask for? Bring me the head of John the Baptist on a plate. So out of peer pressure he does it. Not wanting to look weak in front of others. He doesn't stick by his guns as was lawful. He gives in. And he caused the murder of the last Old Testament prophet of God. Luke also talks to us about the condition of the man's heart after he hears about the wonders of Jesus and him wanting to see him. This is taking place right before Golgotha. When Herod saw Jesus, when, when Pontius Pilate said, you're from Galilee, so I'm going to send you off to King Herod and let him deal with you. When he gets to Herod's court, Herod saw Jesus. He was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him from what he had heard about them. He had hoped to see him perform. He wanted to be entertained He didn't want to be challenged. He didn't want to grow spiritually. He didn't want to see another prophet of God. He'd had his fill of prophets of God. All he wanted was the show, the magic tricks. He wanted the lights. He wanted the activity. He wanted the concert. He didn't want the word of God. Plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressing him in an elegant robe, and they sent him back to Pilate. So you won't entertain us? I'll use you for entertainment. You claim to be king of the Jews. I'll throw a robe around you. I'll dress you up and send you back to Pilate as a walking joke. I will adorn you in a curtain that's made out of purple. Instead of a crown of laurel leaves, I will give you a crown of thorns. I'll dress you up like a Roman Caesar and make you a source of ridicule, and I will parade you before Pontius Pilate to make him laugh. That was what Herod wanted from Jesus. That was the impact on a hardened heart. The wrong kind of attention. Now let's switch gears and talk about the fruit of the right kind. The gathering multitude, the people that were surrounding Jesus just now after they'd heard the work of his disciples, not just him, but his followers as well. This is the church attracting attention, and we need to know that. They were peasant residents of an Israel that didn't belong to Israel anymore. They were a persecuted people. Humiliated, humbled, without hope. But they remembered the power of God and wanted hope through their relationship with him. The one thing that Rome, the one thing that no kingdom could provide. They had experienced the love of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So their hearts had been opened to the gospel by missions. If you show love before others... This you need to know as a church, it needs to be mission-minded. If you demonstrate and showcase the love of God before others, their hearts become open to the gospel. Peter tells us, be always willing, when you're asked, be always willing to give an account of the joy that is within you the hope that is within you. And how we get them to ask is by showing and demonstrating the love of God to others. It's not missions versus evangelism, it has to be both. Missions is the key that unlocks the door to people's to unbelieving hearts. So they heard the message of the gospel and through receiving it, their lives were starting to be transformed. The multitude that is gathering here is the foundation stone on which the new church membership of Jerusalem would eventually come to be. Jesus is the cornerstone. But they were the hearts that were prepared to receive the gospel and to be baptized. This is the first multitude. And they were gathering for the day of Pentecost. Early. This is a foretaste of what would eventually happen. So they left behind the burdens of the past and they began to fully devote themselves to the person standing before them that was the source of that compassion, that source of that love, the one who was reflecting the grace of God, the Father Almighty. They gathered around Christ to seek God just as people without hope today will gather around His bride, the church, if we only continue to demonstrate His love in a world that desperately needs to hear it. This is the way that John describes the same scene. Here he remembers the boy. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. He goes out of his way to say, this. even the five loaves and the two fish, they're nothing. It's barely enough for this kid to eat, much less 10,000 people. How far will they go among so many? Have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down, about 5,000 men. There we go again. And Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Did the same with the fish. And when they had had enough to eat, he asked the disciples, gather the pieces they're left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces, the five barley loaves left over. By those who had eaten. And I want you to notice this. After the people saw the sign, after they witnessed the generosity, after they saw the love of God in action, how did they respond to that love? Surely this is the prophet, not just a prophet. This is the prophet. This is the one that Moses even foretold about. This is the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of the living God. This is the prophet who has finally come into this world. Fear had defeated faith. The disciples may have been the initial targets, but that faith, over, uh, that faith overflowed to everyone that witnessed it. The power of God was put on full display by the people of God. The love of God was experienced by those who had been downtrodden, who had been marginalized, who had been suffering who didn't even know what it was like to be citizens of their own kingdom. They were slaves to a foreign nation, and yet here they found the comfort of God. They grew in faith and in wisdom, and repentant hearts had been blessed. Jesus himself says about this, just as Moses was lifted up, excuse me, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in Him may have what? Eternal life life in Him. Do we raise Christ up in our own hearts and in the ministries of this church to which we all belong? If I am lifted up, just as he promises this, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, which was the image of sin being judged and forgiven, if you lift up Christ in your own hearts, if you make him the centerpiece of who you are in ministry, he will, as he had promised, draw people to him. Because people need the Lord. People desperately need the Lord. if we make him the centerpiece of all that we do, people will be impacted and they will come to us. And we need to be on the lookout for people that then come to us wanting to be new disciples. When they come, we need to be spiritually centered ourselves so that we can discern who are the people that are earnestly being here for the right reasons, And who are here? Who are the people gathered here who want a place of authority, who want a place of leadership, who want a place of influence because they want some kind of a validation that glorifies themselves instead of God? They will come. We must disciple. So let's go back to the foundational question. How do we lift up Christ? Do we see other people that come into our walls as obstacles and inconvenience like the disciples originally did? We only have five loaves and two fish. They're not enough to feed a kid. How are we going to feed 5,000? Is that the way that we see people who come in that door? Or do we seek ways to minister to them knowing that God will provide? Do we make a show for the sake of divine entertainment to bring in people from, from other churches and still instead of trying to minister to the lost? Or do we challenge sin and do we make ourselves into an offering for the sake of forgiveness and grace? Do we strive just to make others happy, to t- tickle other people's ears? Or do we strive to learn ourselves, to grow ourselves, to mature ourselves, and to encourage others to move from first base to second place to third base so when the time comes they are ready to go home? Do we attack others up for the sake of building up ourselves the way that some churches have a habit of doing? You don't want to go to church over there. Those people don't believe right. Those people don't do right. That's, they call themselves the body of Christ, but they don't act like it. Do we try to grow by disparaging and by slandering others? Or do we seek to make a difference in our own right? To welcome, to support, and to love. Remember, whenever we talk about another church, we're still talking about the bride of Christ. And he will answer accordingly. Why do we become disciples in our own right? Do we come to a church because we want friendships, but not necessarily the faith? Do we come because we want the experience, but not the service? The status, but not necessarily the commitment? The grace, But decline the work to glorify ourselves, but not to live out his glory. Again, this isn't talking about individual types of programs or styles. This isn't talking about different methods and materials and ways of doing things. This is talking about what is the condition of our hearts. And as those called to disciple others, how we examine them to know how to place them or how to convict them. What type of music you experience up here as long as it is biblically centered and God honoring it doesn't matter in style. What matters is what is the condition of the message that it leads? What is the condition of the heart of the people that, that sing it in the first place? You cannot have an unbeliever trying to glorify God. You cannot have someone who doesn't believe in the word of God be a pastor. You cannot have someone Who disregards the scripture being a teacher? What is the condition of our heart as we approach the work of ministry, as we approach the church herself? So, the challenge of this passage is this we need to seek after the knowledge of God. And as a disciple of his, in order to claim that title of disciple, we need to seek for ways that we can experience the work of the ministry. All of us. Baptist church, by definition, has to have 100% ministerial engagement. Nothing less than that is acceptable. All of us are called to be workers. In the kingdom of God, every single one of us without exception, if you are called by Christ, if you are a beneficiary of his grace, his forgiveness, and his love, if you are someone that has earnestly repented of your sins, you are called by God himself to do the work of ministry to bring others into that kind of condition. That's what we saw through this passage. We also saw the work of somebody that didn't take that seriously. Someone who claimed to be a believer but was not. we are supposed to wholly devote ourselves to this very profession. Knowing that if we put God first as we are commanded to do, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might, if that is the keystone of our lives, everything else will find its place. Our families, our workplace, whatever we do has to have God as our center. We're to honor God's call to minister and to be obedient fully, knowing that if we are, he will take responsibility for us and he will grant us the strength to succeed. And finally, all of us are commissioned by the Great Commission. Go into all the world. Be that across the room, across the hall, across the street, across the world. Make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all, without exception, what I've commanded you. The whole gospel to make whole Christians. With this promise, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And that's that's a world we can still win one heart at a time. The need for Christ has not changed. The need for his church has not changed. Our mission has not changed. The challenge is, are we willing to be obedient, to go, to make, and to disciple? Let's be the church that does that. Let's be the church that can bring them in at the ground level the earliest possible stages of their spiritual life, to convict them to accept Christ and that not let them go. Teach them. Be with them. Be in community with them. Challenge them. Encourage them. Mentor them. Love them. Love them from just the worship hour into our Sunday school, into our Sunday night, into our Wednesday night. Love them through the challenges that that brings. Love them through just the sake of living and then teach them to minister to others, to be the hands and feet of Christ. And then when the time comes, to not be afraid of sharing their own testimony so that they can do the same to others. Do you see how that works? Go, make, and teach. Very simple formula. We see here in the pattern of scripture how it makes an impact. Now go and do likewise. All God's people said. Heavenly Father, this is a challenging passage. For it calls us to be outside of our comfort zone in so many ways. And yet, we know that you are a God who does not leave your children to fend for themselves. We know that through every conversation, every work, every deed, that you are there. Help us to experience more fully your presence in our midst to know and to feel your love as you embrace us, to know that no matter what challenge that you send us into, you have already been there, you have already planned it out, and you have already set the groundwork to make it glorious. So help us now to be the voice that you've called us to be and to be the tireless agents of your work that you've called us to be. Bless the people before me for all of their efforts, those who give so generously of themselves to the work of your kingdom. Bless them so that they may taste of the fruits of their labors and to see that your love made manifest in their work as well. For any that have yet to come to know you, yet to experience your love, Lord, what a fantastic day to be the day of someone's salvation. For anyone that's experienced a call on their life, be it a call to this church's ministry, be it a call into something beyond these walls, Lord, whatever it is, if you've commissioned someone, let them surrender that call to come forward and to declare themselves to your work. If there are any that have yet to to find a spiritual home, bring them forward so that we may, through your power, wrap them in our arms and welcome them. Lord, if there are any that just need a special touch from you, a special reminder that in the challenges of this life that you are still God. Bring them forward so that we can pray over them and we can encourage them and we can love them in your name. Lord, for whatever the need is on any heart this morning, let your will be done in this place. For it is, as always, in the matchless name of Christ that we pray and that we dedicate ourselves to you. All God's people said. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from High Lawn Baptist Church. If you'd like to learn more about High Lawn Baptist Church or donate to our ongoing ministry, you can do so online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We believe that when you love God, you share His Word, and when you love others, you spread the gospel. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.